we are going to finish off our living single portion of our series. And so last week we talked about singleness, and this week um, we will talk about uh, singleness one more time. Next Sunday we'll talk about marriage. Amen? And then we'll finish off um, on the three Sundays now, and we will talk about um, what we're calling our Me Too message. Um, and we're going to talk about what Scripture has to, how Scripture has dealt with um, uh, sexual assault. And a lot of you are like, wait a minute, Scripture deals with that? Yes, it does have something to say. And so um, uh, uh, please plan to be here the next couple of weeks. And then Easter is coming, right? April 1st, I don't want to say April Fool's, that just felt weird. April 1st, right? Um, and, uh, you know, he's not dead, right? Fooled you. I'm sure there's a lot of people going to be playing off of that. Um, but uh, I told myself I wouldn't, but here I am playing off of it. But uh, Easter is coming. And so not only make time to be here, but invite somebody. And we got something exciting um, in the works. And so with that being said, before I get into today's message, I want to encourage the married couples and then after I encourage the married couples, I want to prepare the singles. And so to the married couples, here's what I want to tell you this morning. We're going to get very practical with the single adults today. Is that okay? Don't let me lose you, though, marrieds. Don't let me lose you. And let me tell you why. Your voice is important to the single adults in this church today. We need your voice. You may not be single, but you are called to disciple, mentor, and encourage someone who is. Not to mention, if you're a parent, you may have a single son or daughter. Or you may at some point in your life have a single son or daughter. And so here's what I want you to do, married couples, if you will, for me today. Will you kind of take this morning as kind of a teacher's workshop and will you, will you start taking notes and will you prepare yourself and resource yourself because the kingdom of God needs your voice and single adults need more married couples to mentor, encourage, and, uh, and to coach. Um, and so if you are a married couple, don't, don't let me lose you, but use this kind of as a teacher workshop opportunity to be able to encourage those. Is that okay? Can we married couples round of applause? Can we get? Is that okay? Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to prepare the singles this morning because I'm going to kind of let you know where we're going. Um, and if you're dating or in a relationship, uh, you like to say, well, I'm not single. If you're not married, you're single. So don't be like, well, that's not me. I'm in a long-term relationship. No. <laughs> you are single in the name of Jesus. In fact, let's just pray. No, I'm kidding. Um, and so, please, uh, I want to make sure, you know, today, everyone's trying to find a loophole these days. And so, here's what I want you to know. Single adults, today's message is going to revolve around three questions. I'm going to ask you three questions, and then I'm going to try to help you answer these three questions. And here they are. The first question is this. How are you viewing your singleness? How are you viewing your singleness? You know, is it something that you're excited about or is it something that you're absolutely like, I don't like it? Is it a gift or is it a curse? And you see, this is a question of perspective. The second question that I want to ask you this morning is, what are you doing with your singleness? Pay attention to your priorities during this time. Where are your affections? What, where, what is getting all of your attention in this time? So if the first question is a matter of perception, this second question is a matter of discipleship. And then finally, number three, the question I want to ask you is this. Are there any lies you're believing that need confronting? Are there any lies that you're believing that need confronting? In other words, who are you listening to? And so question number one is a matter of perception. Question number two is a matter of discipleship. And question number three is a matter of influence. So let's pray. My Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Jesus, we recognize that wherever the body gathers, you gather. And we recognize that you're in this place. I pray for the married couples. 
that I not only pray for their relationships, but I pray that they would become mentors, encouragers, coaches, disciples of single adults. And I pray for the single adults in this room. May you speak to them like only you can. Holy Spirit, take my words, translate them into their language, and speak to their hearts. And we ask that you would be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And I forgot to prophesy that we were going to be a boo-producing church, didn't I? But I, I said that last week. And I really believe that we're going to be a destination church for single adults. Amen. I feel like there's some more marriages coming. And we're going to do it right. We're going to honor the glory in the name of Jesus, the glory of the Lord. We're going to make kingdom babies. Amen. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with talking about that on the church because God created it all. And so with that being said, the first question I want to pose to you this morning is how are you viewing your singleness? Uh, is it a gift or is it a curse? Now, if you were here last week, you know that we talked about Jesus, but both Jesus and the Apostle Paul were single adults. How weird does that sound? Both Jesus and the Apostle Paul were single adults, and they considered their singleness a gift. Amen? Now, I want you to look at what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 7 through 8, and we should have it up here for you. But Paul, after addressing the married couples in the church, he then turns his attention to the singles and he says this to them. Are you ready? The apostle Paul tells the single adults of the Corinthian church, I, time out, I thank God for the Corinthian church, amen? There are some jacked up people just like me. And Paul's like, look, I got to tell you about everything, right? Paul has to have a conversation because there's also a young man who's sleeping with his mom. Now, that's crazy, yeah? But thank God for the, as crazy as it is, I thank God for the Corinthian church because we got a lot of dysfunctions being answered in here, amen? Um, not that this is a dysfunction, but I just thank God for that church. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 7 through 8, this is Paul addressing the Corinthian church, specifically the singles. Listen to what Paul says. He says this, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, are you ready for this? It is good for them to remain single as I am. This is Paul preaching to the singles at the Corinthian church. He says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I'm going to tell you, it's good that you remain single as I am. Now, I want to just kind of stop right there and just kind of, it's only a couple of sentences, but it's, it's power packed. Here's what I want to tell you. Paul wasn't just proud to be single. Anybody proud to be single up in here? Amen. <laughs> Love to you over there. You, could just, you don't even have to listen to this part of the message because it's a gift over there. The rest of y'all, you need to listen. You see, <laughs> I, I thought all the single adults were going to be like, oh, my single legs, right? We got a men's conference going on next door. <laughs> Is anybody proud to be single? Hey. <laughs> now listen, Paul wasn't just proud to be single, but he preferred to be single. Anybody prefer? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now listen, are you ready for this? And in verse 7, if Paul had it his way, we'd all be single. If he says, I wish y'all were single like I'm single. He goes, but not everyone has this gift. Some have one kind and one, some of the other. And what he's saying is some people are blessed to be married. But he's also saying some people are blessed to be single. So not only was Paul single and proud of it, but he preferred to be single, and he actually, if he had it his way, we'd all be single. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 8. Paul calls the single life good. It's good. He calls the single life good. Now, if you look at the Greek word that Paul is using for good, good doesn't really cover it. This Greek word that Paul uses here is beautiful and honorable. Paul says it is beautiful to be single. It is honorable to be single. It is good to be single. And I want to show you something really cool. Are you ready? In the Old Testament, God calls marriage good. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul calls singleness good. 
And can I just share this with you? The key to being content in your singleness begins with you looking at and embracing that season the way that God looks at it and embraces it. If you want to be content in your singleness, you need to embrace it the way that God embraces it. You need to see it the way that God sees it. This is a change of perspective. But if you're going to be able to do that, are you ready for this? Here it is. If you're going to be able to change your perspective, we need to stop calling bad what God has called good. If you're going to change your mind about singleness, if you're going to change your perspective of it, you're going to need to learn to look at it the way God sees it and not look at it the way the culture sees it, the way the church sometimes sees it. Now, can I challenge your heart for a second? Okay. Over the years, I've been a youth pastor. I've been a, I've ran some single adult ministries. And so over the years, I've had a chance to mentor many singles. Some of them are here this morning, as the giggle would suggest. And you know what? It never fails. I run into some singles that can't stand marriage. You ever run into them? You know how you can tell who they are? They're the ones that tell you, I'll never get married. <laughs> you have friends like that? I'll never get married. I may adopt children, but I'm never going to get married. And here's what happens. Are you ready for this? They usually embrace singleness not because they think it's a gift, but because they look at marriage as a curse. You hearing me? If we're going to change our perspective, we got to start seeing things the way that God has seen it. And if God declares marriage good, then you shouldn't declare it bad. On the same token, in the same way, I've also mentored Christian singles who treat their single season like a disease. <laughs> Are you with me? And they can't wait to be married. Oh, gosh, they can't wait. In fact, they get so jelly when somebody gets engaged. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram posts, and they're about to throw up. <laughs> Not because they're sick of marriage, because they're sick. You know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, right? It's like, if I am in one more we wedding, Lord Jesus, <laughs> and if my man ain't out there as my plus one, I've mentored some singles who treat their singleness like a disease. They can't wait to be married. Now, here's, what's, here's what happens with that. They tend, not all, okay, I'm generalizing here, but listen to me. They tend to speed through a time that God has ordained for them to slow down. And you know what happens? They end up making a costly mistake. Now, God is faithful. Right? He can come in during any point in your life. There ain't no mistake that he can't come in and fix. What I'm saying is there is a preferred way to go. Are you with me? And so what happens is, is they speed through their singleness because of their desire to be married. And they end up going too fast when God has ordained them to slow down. And they make a costly mistake. Now, I don't want anyone to feel condemned right now. So please just hear my heart. And here's what my heart has to say. Both views are equally unhealthy. And both views point to a need for healing. Both views place unrealistic expectations either on yourself or your future spouse. Both views, hear me out, cheapen God's ordained season for you. And it robs you of the blessing and the wisdom that God has ordained for you to receive in that moment. And so if you speed through it or if you deny it. You're missing out on what God has for you. Are you with me? Now, I just want you to be honest with yourself today. And I want to ask you a question. Are you setting yourself up for disappointment? Is it possible that your motivation to marry or your motivation to remain single is coming from a hurting place and not a holy place? Are there any negative, hear me out, are there any negative past experiences 
that the Lord might want to heal you from during this time that are causing you to look at singleness as if it's a disease or causing you to look at marriage as if you don't want nothing to do with it? Are there past experiences? Are there broken things? Is there sin that interrupted your life? Or somebody can, maybe you've been victimized in a way. Maybe you lived in a household where marriage was not exemplified according to Scripture. And so therefore you say, I don't ever want to get married because I don't want to look like that. Can I just say this? Don't be afraid of freedom. Amen. Don't be afraid of it. The Lord is speaking to you. Don't, don't be afraid of freedom. How you perceive your singleness goes a long way in answering the next question. Here it is. What are you doing with your singleness? Where are your priorities? Think about it. Where are your affections? What is getting all of your attention in your single time? Now, I'm going to go back to trusty old Paul. Talking to the trusty old Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 32 through 35, I'm going to read this to you and it should be up here. But listen to me. And the question I want to ask you now is, first question is, what do you, uh, how do you view your singleness, a gift or a curse? And then the second question is, what are you doing with your singleness? Paul says this, I want you to be free from anxiety. <laughs> so it's like Paul's about to say something maybe a little heavy. So I want you to be free from anxiety here. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man, are you ready for this, married man? Is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The Bible does say this. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He's promoting good order. So he's not saying that not to get married. He's not saying that I don't want anyone to be married. I mean, there's this wrestle. I wish that everyone could be like me, but I understand we're all given our gifts. But he's saying there is a proper order, and I want to tell you about this order, otherwise you might walk into something backwards. You with me? Now, is it me, or does it seem like the church culture has got Paul's words twisted? I want to challenge the young adults, in, or the single adults, not the young, the single adults this morning. Here's, here's put the seatbelts on for a second, okay? You with me? I love you. I think we have a discipleship dilemma in our church. Not just inspired, but I think in the church in general. I think we have a discipleship dilemma. Let me tell you why. I think we've allowed the culture and not the scripture to define our singleness. I really do. I think there are some good people that love Jesus, love the Lord, want to do what's right by him. But I, I think that because of a lack of discipleship, they're letting scripture define what to do in their singleness. They're letting culture define what to do in their singleness, not scripture. Now, here's where the issue is. When I say that singleness is a gift, I don't mean it's a gift in a selfish sense. Are you with me? What we're saying is, not only is your singleness from God, but it's to God. Not only is it God-given, but it's something that I give back to God. It's a gift in a dual sense. God gives you your singleness as a gift, but then you give it back to him as a gift. This is the gospel lenses. This is Christ-centered singleness. It's not a gift that you take and say, well, thank you, God. I'll do what I want during this time. It's a gift given to you so you could give it back to him. When you view singleness through the lenses of the gospel, we then see singleness as our greatest resource to help build the kingdom, not build our social lives. And the church has got this backwards. I wonder what the church would say if Paul were to come up and say, I wish y'all were single. I wish everyone was. Because of undivided attention and undivided devotion. But I think because of our discipleship dilemma... Some, not all, guys, not all. I know there's some. But there are some of our singles, they seem to be more unavailable than available for the kingdom of God. You know, we track attendance. 
here at the church. Not like we take names and roles and all that other stuff. I don't want you to think that. Um, but we track attendance. We want to know how many came. You know, we just want to know is the church growing numerically. Um, it's really important to us. For anybody who says, well, it's not about numbers. I fought with that thing for a while. And to be honest with you, I think that's it's a silly fight. Um, I really want to know who are we reaching? How are we reaching? And I want to know um, what, what our numbers look like. And what's really interesting is, and I'm going to share Inspired Church numbers. As we looked, I see a really interesting I haven't solved it yet, but I have some thoughts. But I see a really interesting dynamic. There are some months where we go over the top in numbers, in attendance. And then there are some months where we kind of lower a little bit. In fact, we'll go three months kind of on a, on a particular. We'll stay at like 135, 140 plus about another 30 kids. And then every once in a while, and it happens like maybe every three months, one month in a row we'll go 160 in this room. And we'll have about 130, 135 kids. And I was just kind of, I was trying to think, well, is it the sermon series, you know? When Mikey preaches, more people show up. Maybe I need to sit down. Um, there's all these different things, right? But as, as I'm thinking through this, you know what I realized? The variable that didn't change? The children's ministry. It stood the same. And again, I'm, gonna make a, I'm just going to make a jump here. And it's not necessarily science. But I realized that. The marrieds with kids are the most consistent in serving and attending. And I was like, wait, that's not what Paul meant. Y'all with me? I told you to put your seatbelt on. You see, Paul loves singleness. He prefers singleness. He wishes everyone was single because Here's why. Paul wishes everyone was single, not because it gives you a license to live it up, but because he sees it as an opportunity for you to have undivided devotion and unrestricted mission for the kingdom of God. He says when you get married, the cares of this world are going to come over you. You're going to need to work full time, probably overtime. You're going to have children. You have multiple children. Your first ministry becomes your spouse. He says there's going to be a lot of undivided things, and you're not going to be able to do the things that you used to be able to do. But when you're single, you're not going to have those restraints. And our culture says, you know, go out, have a good time, stay out late, travel, do everything you ever wanted to do. And I wonder if there are some God-fearing, Jesus-loving, single adults that are walking in a cultural mentality and not a scriptural one. I wrestle with this because I talk to a lot of people, you know, and I don't want people like, it's talking about me. This is just something I'm seeing out of scripture and it's something I've dealt with constantly internally. Now, can I just describe these two different types? Undivided devotion, unrestricted mission. Let me just describe that. Paul says, in your singleness, you have access to undivided devotion. What does he mean by that? Undivided devotion is a matter of intimacy. Unrestricted mission is a matter of activity. He says, in your single season, your single season is holy and it's set apart. It's a holy and set apart time to establish the kind of relational depth with Jesus that only being alone with him can do. Then it's unrestricted mission is a matter of activity. Now, I just thought about this. Imagine the impact Inspire would have on this city and really the entire Bay Area if we were full of single adults passionate about discipleship and evangelism. Wow. Imagine the impact. Married couples, imagine the impact we would have for a second if we weren't just full of healthy marriages, but we were also full of healthy single adults who are passionate about evangelism and passionate about discipleship. Wow. What kind of impact will we have on Union City? What kind of impact will we have in the Bay Area? How many people, I wonder, would sign up for the Philippines? And I said this before, and I'll say this again. Single adults, we need you. We need you guys. This church needs you. God has called you, and we need you to push this mission forward. We got married couples coming in and they're bringing in their babies, getting here, trying to get in here, trying to get, trying to serve in the morning, doing all, waking up early, trying. I love it. I'm so blessed. Single adults, I see some of you guys doing that as well. But we need the mission. We need you. We need you. 
What could God do, single adults, if you gave him your calendar, your wallet, and your talent in this season? <laughs> what could God do if you gave him your calendar, your wallet, your talent? Some of you say, well, I'm not ready. I got so many things I need to work out in my life. That's a cop-out. It's okay. We'll walk you through that. You with me? And I, I just want to share with you, when God called me, Philip, back to him, I dedicated my singleness to him. It wasn't easy, and it sure wasn't perfect, but I have zero regrets. And during that time, I found Jesus, and Jesus showed me my gifts. He showed me my call. He showed me my ministry. He showed me my wife. Amen. And I can honestly say, I tithed my singleness to the Lord. I tithed my singleness to God, and it was the best thing I ever did for myself, my future family, and of course for Jesus. You with me? Third question I want to ask, and we're going to land here. and We'll be here for a little bit, and then we'll finish. But the third question I want to ask is this. Are there any lies that you're believing that need confronting? Now, I have seven lies that I'd like to confront this morning. Uh, I tried to make it practical and slightly funny, but, you know, it's a hit or miss with me. And so, <laughs> so with that being said, here's the first lie. I call it the FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO means? Okay. The FOMO is F-O-M-O. It means fear of what? Missing out. Or the lie that tells you if you're not married or dating, you're what? You're missing out. All the marrieds or the datings are just having a great time, right? And we look on social media. And, you know, so, I love social media. I hate it simultaneously because you're getting everyone's best, right? It's like they've been arguing, almost beat each other up. But let's pause for the picture, <laughs> right? And then the picture is done. They go back to fight. It's, like, it's not what it seems. Not all that glitters is gold. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? It's just like church, married couples. Y'all know y'all be fighting all the way here. And then you get in here, you're like, praise the Lord. We're doing great, brother. Right? <laughs> I'm blessed. Wife's like, I'm blessed too. <laughs> but here's what I want to say to the FOMO lie. Instead of being consumed by a search for a significant other, I want you to be consumed with the glory of God in your life. So how does one do that? Why don't you be consumed with winning souls for Jesus? You know the Great Commission doesn't talk about lonely souls. It talks about lost souls. The focus of the Great Commission is not the lonely but the lost. Make your singleness your loudest gospel message. You can spend time with people and have access to people that I can never. You can reach places that I can't reach. You can go to places that I can't go. Make your singleness your loudest gospel message. Instead of searching for a significant other, search to be significant before the Lord for the glory of God. Win souls. Win some to the lost. Tell people about Jesus. Spend some time with people. You do not have to be undivided. You don't have to check in and check out with somebody. Look, baby, I'm going to be home at 8 p.m. Uh, right? You don't have to do that. And you can spend time with somebody and you can... Are you with me? Win souls. Build the church. Don't settle for being on the outside. Get off of the sidelines. Get in the game. Your singleness is one of the greatest resources you can use to build and strengthen the church. Live for something bigger and greater than yourself. There's a whole generation that wants transcend. They want something greater. They want something beyond. They want something bigger. And they're not okay with just what the generation before them wanted. And so what happens is that now in the workforce, not only uh, what's really crazy is they did a study. And I was reading this article a while back, but it's true to this day. Now when you go into an interview, you know what's happening? The job is not interviewing them, but you're interviewing the job. There's a whole generation that says, you know what, I'm going to work where I want to work. 
And they'll leave really quickly. And there's no loyalty. And then you have all these places that have to become better places to work. So they got off you free food and ping pong and a pool table and a haircut. <laughs> they do. And I thank this generation for bringing that in, praise God, because they didn't want to be like their parents. They didn't want to work 60 hours at a place for 40 years and not get paid enough and not feel and come home and be angry and upset at their parents. So they said, you know, we're not going to do it that way. And so things have shifted because the generation says we're not going to look like that. And that's beautiful. But one thing I want to add to that generation, there's a discipleship dilemma. You're not going to find transcendent meaning in your workplace. But you can find it building the kingdom of God. Amen. Number two, I call this the fairy tale. You ready for the fairy tale? Here it is. This is the lie that tells us that we have to find our other half. Where's my other half? I'm looking for my other half. You complete me. You complete me. I don't even know how he does that, right? You, you complete me. I'm looking, for someone, I'm looking for someone to complete me. Have you seen my other half? I'm looking for my other half. And that's cute, right? But that's not true. You don't want a half. You want a whole. Give me a whole. The church wants a whole. We don't want our other half. If you're looking for a relationship to complete you, well, honey, you're going to be disappointed. Ain't nobody going to complete you but Jesus. In the kingdom of God, I know this math doesn't make sense, but in the kingdom of God, two holes make a whole. Hallelujah. Singleness is a time to become what? Whole, healthy singleness should be your top priority. I'm going to encourage all the singles in this room, put a plan in place. Write it down. How do I be how, healing and wellness for my life and my body and my soul? What do I need to do in this time? Now, can I make some suggestions? Good. <laughs> Let me start by suggesting to you to create a rule of life. A rule of life. And don't get caught up on the word rule because already some of you are like, oh, it's a rule. I don't want to. That's not what I mean by that. A rule of life. And I, here's another thing I want to tell you the mission isn't marriage. Marriage is not the mission, y'all. If you think your mission in life is to be married, you're missing the point. Make a rule of life. And let me start off by suggesting to you, some of this is in high, uh, inspired by a book that we really love here at the church. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You know, write that down. In fact, we might even have it up there. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. But I'm going to give you ten suggestions, real practical right here. I'm going to give you ten things. Number one, make a rule of life. And on your rule of knife, life, <laughs> rule of knife, on your rule of life, here's what I want you to put. Number one, devotion. What do I mean by that? In your singleness, Cultivate a habit of prayer in Scripture. Start weekly, but desire it for it to become a, a, a daily thing. Devotion. Let me ask you single adults. When you wake up in the morning or when you spend your day at all during that time, are you making space for prayer and the Word? The answer is no. I need you to be a half working to be a whole. This is a great time to develop intimacy with Jesus. I would challenge yourself to begin to do these things. And again, you don't have to do it every day, but let's just start off once a week. Number two, discipleship. The first one is devotion. The second is discipleship. Find a mentor. Find a mature believer that you give permission to speak into your life. You know how we like to say it? Give somebody permission to be rude for you for Jesus. Mm, that's hard, huh? Give somebody permission to go up to you and say, hey, i got to tell you something. And right, not just anybody can do that, but somebody who loves you and cares for you and honors you, give them permission to be rude to you for the kingdom's sake. Number three, simplicity. And I wrestled with this one because our culture and because, because I know so many people in here. But here's the thing about simplicity. Guard yourself from excess. Can I say that again? Guard yourself from excess. Guard yourself from excessive eating. 
Guard yourself from excessive spending. Guard yourself from excessive traveling. Guard yourself from anything that if it becomes excessive, it takes you away from the priority to develop a relationship with Jesus and give him your undivided attention and undivided activity. Are you with me? Number four, become a learner. Take a course. Maybe learn scripture. Go online, take an online course, learn scripture, uh, commit to a reading plan that involves a Christ, one Christian book every couple of months. Something that, a book that would enhance your spiritual depth and understanding. I got all kinds I could recommend. Start with one book. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is a great place to start. But in your rule of life, as you work on devotion and you work on discipleship and you work on simplicity, you all say, I want to be a learner during this time. You with me? Number five, learn the Sabbath. Learn the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Identify a day, even if it starts with just once a month, where you stop work. You enjoy rest. You practice delight and you contemplate God. Identify a day. You see, you know what? I'm not going to work some of you, you your, your work phone and your, your is all together in one. You get emails and phone calls, all this. Get a day where you just don't do that. Practice delight on that day. Find a hobby, something you like to do. Go hiking. Do something. And I, th I see some, see, you guys are doing this. I see this, but this is something that should be, don't feel guilty about that, amen. Don't be guilty about saying, I'm going to take one off. Take a nap, amen. You got any nappers in the house? Hallelujah. Some of y'all look, look, praise Jesus, Paul. Did Paul say that or did you say that? Come on. Now, you ready? I included this next one, serve. Uh, anytime I bring up Sabbath, I got to bring up serve because some of y'all be Sabbath in seven days a week. Can I go there? I'm going to go. I got to look at a few people that hold me down. But, you know, it's, it's so crazy. <laughs> It's so crazy because, you know, part of, you know, membership at this church, which is why some people are probably like, I don't want to be a member, uh, is we put you on serve teams and we want you uh, to practice being a part of the ministry and help build the mission up. And when we started this, one of the things that was really on our heart is we wanted people to serve once and then be off twice. And so we have our rotations and make sure people serve, but at the same time they can be here for service. And, um, and we all make sure that married couples um, would serve together and that they would be worship together. And this is what we wanted to do and I know some people are like wow man you know we got to serve when we come here and uh, yeah because it's part of the call to discipleship on your life and we this church we look at membership as a, as a permission to disciple right and so uh we do that but it never fails because even though we you know we try to do these rotations and give people breaks or whatnot it's just like never enough you know it's just always like people are just always there's always a complaint in the spirit and I'm just like you know what like sabbath and serve serve and sabbath like let these two things mutually instead of fighting against one another why don't you let these two things mutually join together and learn to live healthy and, and and you understand the calling that god has for you so i ask people to rest but i also ask people to serve volunteer serve the church faithfully in an area of need you know, I wonder if you're a single adult here today and think, you know what, I want to do a little bit more. You know what, come to myself, come to my wife, come to some of the team and say, hey, is there a place of need here? You know the children's ministry, we're in need. Do you know that? We have a need in there. We have a need in children's ministry. And some of you, we, we bring our children and we sit them off in there and they do such a great job in there. We're trying to grow and do all these things. Our children's ministry is working and sweating. They're the unsung heroes of this house. And we have single adults, so you could be in there. I don't do children. You know, okay, and I get that, but I'm just saying there are needs. There are needs. It's not perfect. You're not going to come in and everything's going to be perfect. And how much do I get paid, Pastor Phil? You get paid in kingdom bucks, okay? <laughs> Remember those bucks back in the day when you were a kid? You get paid in all these, yeah, I forget what they were called. Book bucks or something like that. I don't know what they were. What were they called? Book bucks. Right. I think I'm a little older than that, though. It was something else before that. Anyway, but yes, you get paid in smiles and kingdom bucks. Actually, you get paid in people who are annoyed too, <laughs> you know. So that's just a beautiful thing. Praise God. Um, 
But volunteer, serve the church faithfully in the area of need. Discover your call, your gift. Live for something beyond yourself. Serve in Sabbath, Sabbath and serve. Serve in Sabbath, Sabbath and serve. Let this be the rhythm of your life. Number seven, give. Right now is a great time to break the bondage of materialism in your life. And you know, give so it hurts. Because that's giving sacrificially. And when we planted this church, one thing I try to remind myself is be unapologetic about speaking about tithing and giving. Just unapologetic about it. Without that, this church does not move in the direction God has called it to move. Give and give until it hurts. Number eight, and I'm going to rebuke myself, so I'm going to put my hands right here and just kind of push on my forehead a little bit. Exercise. You know, you're reading some of this, you're like, you're, you're going to preach that word, no one's going to look at you. People are like, yeah, he's doing that. But in this number eight, I'm like, they're going to look at me like, really? You practice what you preach there, Pastor. <laughs> but I'm talking to singles today. <laughs> <sighs> Here we go. Exercise. But what do I mean by that? Take care of your body. Take care of your body. Now, look, this could be something as simple as eight hours of sleep, maybe, that would work for somebody in here. Um, some of y'all are up to like 2 or 3 in the morning, you know, who knows, watching Netflix, doing whatever it is. Get some good sleep. Go for a walk regularly. Amen? Eat healthy. Oh, Lord, that's one for me. Right? And, and you know, part, practice, participate in some sort of exercise. Go to the gym. Hang out. Do something together. Get a couple of people that you feel comfortable with. Number nine is Family. Yeah, you're probably like number nine. Yeah, it's okay. Whether your family is beautiful or dysfunctional, <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit for insight on how you can love and be a light to them on a continuous basis. Right? And again, this isn't, when I say this rule of life, and I'm going to make sure I put it, it doesn't mean, you know, priorities one, two, three, and four. But um, sometimes that's just something as we were, as I was going through this, it came up. But, hey, if your family loves the Lord, if your family doesn't love the Lord in your singleness, how can you regularly bless them and just be a light? Can you do? Number, number 10 is community. Find a group of peers growing in Jesus and then take the journey with them. I didn't just say find a bunch of friends that are growing and everything else. Amen. Y'all got that down pretty good. Find a group of, you see, some of us, we have a group of friends that will pressure us into doing what God does not want. Find a group of friends that will pressure you into doing something that God wants you to do. If there's going to be peer pressure, and if you're going to surround yourself with peer pressure, how about you surround yourself with the kind of pressure that's going to pressure you into doing what God wants you to do? Number three, ready for this next lie? It's the illusion of loneliness. And you know what this lie tells you? If you're single, then you're alone. But the truth is, singleness is an opportunity to cultivate community and hospitality. What do I mean by that? Hospitality, if you're single, open your home. Lead a small group. Practice inviting all kinds of different people into your life. Bring them over for dinner. Take them out to dinner. Invite other single adults. You know what? Get a married couple and spend time with them. Ask questions. Learn and grow. There are some amazing people out there with amazing insight. We just need to create a space to access that treasure. Secondly, let your loneliness become an invitation for you to practice devotion to Jesus. Some of the most intimate times I've ever had with Jesus were in my single years. Are you with me? Some of the most intimate times I ever had with Jesus were in my single years when I allowed my loneliness to lead me on a hike, on a walk, and in a time of prayer and reflection with Jesus. I want you to know when you're alone, you're not alone. When you feel the loneliness of singleness, it's an invitation for Christ. To give you time to him and devotion. I'm going to tell you, it's a fight. Don't get me wrong. But some of the greatest things I've ever learned about him and about myself came in that time. Are you with me? 
Number four, some people call it missionary day. I call it ministry dating. Do you all know what that is? It's a lie that tells you you're strong enough to date somebody who doesn't believe. Oh, I'm strong enough to date or marry an unbeliever. And that somehow you dating them or marrying them will somehow win them to Christ. Like that's Christ's kind of tool for their lives. Is that you would date somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus and that you're going to be this witness. I want you to tell you, I get that and it's admirable. But I want to tell you that that's not wise. Am I stepping on some toes this morning? Maybe. Now, you hear the famous line that's usually quoted by Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He tells us what? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, let me explain. The yoke is a wooden bar that joins two oxen together. And so they pull the burden together. Now, if one oxen is weaker or shorter, then the bigger and stronger oxen is going to pull it in a different direction. And the burden isn't going to be pulled. Are you with me? In fact, it'll cause the whole load just to go in circles. You'll never accomplish the mission that you've been put on because you're going in circles. You'll never be moving forward. You'll be moving in circles. Here's the big, big, big deal about that. When oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them. And instead of working together, they're at odds with one another. So I always tell singles, well, what do you look for? What do you look for in, in, in a significant other, somebody that you're thinking about pursuing a relationship with them? I tell them these three things. I call these the three F's. I know it's kind of weird, but here it is. Friendship, fellowship, and future. Right? Friendship, fellowship, and future. Now, you can't have, you need all three. One don't work. You need all three together. Let me explain to you each. What is friendship? Friendship is what you and me have in common, right? Friendship is what you and I have. We, we gather around communities of commonality. It's really difficult to talk to somebody, that, you know, it's like, you like sports? Nah. Do you like, well, what about you? Do you like, no. So, right? I mean, you can still happen, but for the most part, you want, you want some fire, right? And so friendship is important because it's what you and I have in common. But friendship can't be the only thing. Second one I say is fellowship. If friendship is what you and I have in common, fellowship is what we have in common in Christ. You know, friendship takes place when we're playing board games and we're laughing and having a good time. Fellowship takes place when we're talking about the scripture together in connect groups. That's fellowship. What a beautiful thing where you can sit with your significant other and you can just begin to talk about Christ together. Hmm. And finally, the third thing is future. And this is really important because before you are married, God has a call on your life. He has gifts he wants to give you, and he has a direction that he wants to take you. But when you become married, that call, those gifts, and that direction, it goes from primary to secondary because your first call is your marriage. You hear me? Your first call is your spouse. Your first ministry is your spouse. And if you and, and if you marry somebody who's not called to the same thing you're called to, if you marry somebody who's not willing to step into some of the ministry that you have, or vice versa, then it's going to be a tough sledding together. You know, I, when God sent me my beautiful wife, Jamila, it wasn't just the friendship and the fellowship, but he knew where he was going to take me, and he knew that not just anybody can walk there with me. He knew that I was going to be a pastor. And again, I'm not trying to lift myself up, so let me get back. He just knew the hardships that come with this ministry, and he knew that not just anybody can share their husband. And what I mean by that is just as a pastor, there are times when you're giving yourself out. Now, you have to be healthy about this. Don't get me wrong. My wife and my family are my primary purpose, but my wife has to walk with me. And you could be Christian and you can love the Lord, but you could not want to be a pastor, a pastor or a pastor's wife or whatever you want to call it. And so when I found somebody, I want to tell you, I met a lot of godly women during my single time. I mean, look at me. <laughs> right? 
I mean, the Lord called me back. The Lord called, we're, and we're almost through here. The Lord called me back. <laughs> the Lord called me back to him. And, I, you know, I was going for the honor and glory. Lord, all of a sudden, people, girls started coming to the church. We didn't even know we're there. And I was like, for me, Lord? And he's, I had grandmas. Can you just meet my, you know, come here and meet my, you know, niece or my, I have my sister sending me photos. Sometimes I'm like, sometimes like. But here's what I want to say. Are you ready for this? I've met in my singleness girls who were, friend, they were, we were friends. There was fellowship, but there was no future. And because of that, or they're unwilling, there was an unwillingness I knew to go in the direction God was calling me. And so I couldn't settle. Sometimes we settle, though, don't we? You know what we call that? We call that the torment of time. It's demonic. It's called time torment. You know what time torment does? It causes you to speed through things that God doesn't want you to speed through. And it causes you to make a decision based on settling, not on purpose and plan. And you know why it's demonic? Some of you like, you're getting over-spiritual. Here's why. God lives outside of time. Therefore, time doesn't affect him. Satan lives in time. And so time does affect him because he knows his time will be up. And so he moves, listen, Satan moves in a hurry and moves in a rush. Number five, friends with benefits. This isn't sexual, though. You want to know what this is? This is the lie that says what we're doing is harmless. We're just friends. I'm going to tell you what this means. I'm all for members of the opposite sex being with one another and enjoying each other's company. But there is a line that we need to be careful not to cross for ourselves and for our friends. Even though things may not be official, spending large amount of times alone together, in person or by phone, texting daily, these are things that can cause emotional connections that can become ultimately inappropriate. Girls and guys can cling to their friend for the kind of affirmation and attention that they want in a relationship. Before you know it, everything about this friendship screams relational intimacy, but there's no title. We're not loving each other. We're using each other, and we need to be really careful about that. Amen. Number six, the magic wand wedding day. <laughs> marriage doesn't automatically fix the problems. Amen. In fact, can I tell you something? Marriage increases the problems. <laughs> by two. Marriage increases the problems by two. Don't get, don't get offended, married couples. We're, we're going to be blessed next week. <laughs> Anybody knows who's got married or is married now knows, hey, I love you, baby. I love, we're good. We love Jesus or whatever. But when I was single, you know, there were just some problems I didn't have. Now that we're married, there's some problems we got to work through. Amen. Marriage just does the opposite. It adds to the problem. And you know what else? It magnifies the problem. Right? I, when you're single, you, I throw my socks anywhere. Right? There it is. Those are my socks, and I'll get to them when I want to get to them. Now Jamila's like, excuse me? She's just grabbing them or whatever, and, I, and there's this, you know, there's this debate in our house about where our socks go. She says the pantry, I say the floor. Help me out. But can I say this? This is why I'm a big proponent not just of marriage counseling, but pre-engagement counseling. This is something new. Listen to me real quick. I, I, I'm almost done. Pre-engagement counseling, can I just say this? Um, if you're thinking about getting engaged, I would suggest pre-engagement. And I don't want people to feel like you've done it wrong. I, this is moving forward, okay? But I want to say for singles coming, pre-engagement counseling is important. The minute you get engaged, there's a clock ticking. And there is embarrassment looming if you have to call it off. And so when you go through your counseling, calling it off really, you pretend, but it's really not an option. Unless you're really humbled before the Lord, amen? And I appreciate some people laughing over here. And I appreciate, I appreciate some people that do that. But here's why I think pre-engagement counseling is so important is that that silent clock isn't ticking. That pressure isn't to, get, to get married right away isn't there. And I think it's appropriate to go through those stages together. Amen. Number seven, Twitter pated. Anybody, any Disney fans in here? Yeah, anybody know where Twitter pated came from? Bambi, there you go. Bambi. This is the lie that says love is all we need. 
That's a great start, but you also need wisdom. Right? Love is a great start, but you also need wisdom. Can we throw up Genesis 2.24 on there real quick? And then can I have, um, Paul can come up and tickle the, tickle the strings just for a little bit. And we're going to pray and we're working through here. <laughs> oh, poor guy, making a run all over the place. But let's throw up Genesis 2.24. Are you ready? Therefore, a man... <laughs> Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become what? One. Can I say this? This verse not only describes marriage, but also describes a man. You know what I see today? I see two things that are happening. Women are extending their time of singleness out a little bit further. We were just talking about this in our small group too. They're extending their time of singleness a little further, and they're, they're saving themselves for career for, for, for all kinds of things, right? There's so many things I want to do before I get married, and that's understandably so. And then their counterparts, men, their adolescence is getting extended further. You guys see that? Some of you ladies seem to be like, amen. And so you got a 27-year-old man still playing video games all day long. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. And the women are kind of like, Lord Jesus, help us out a little bit. Right? And so what happens is as the men extend their adolescence, the women say, you know what? We don't want to get married. And we have a culture where the men aren't walking like men. They're not walking like men. He says, therefore a man shall what? Leave his mom and dad. My question to ladies who are, about, who are marrying a man or dating a man, and my question to the men in here today is, can you live outside of mom and dad's house? Now, we're in the Bay Area, so I'm going to be a little more apologetic. I understand. It's like, no, <laughs> I can't. And I get you right, right, right. Please hear my heart, okay, on this. Like, they, not everything fits in, okay, you know. It's like, no, I need to live at mom and dad's house. Praise God. I get why. I know it's expensive here. But for the most part, hear my heart. There's just three things I want to say. Do you worship like a man? Do you think like a man? And do you work like a man? Let me explain. What is it worship like a man? Do you have maturity in Christ? How's your relationship with Jesus? If you're not close to Jesus, forget about getting close to anyone else. You will just be a disappointment. If you're not close to Jesus, forget about being close to anyone else. You'll just be a disappointment. Worship like a man. Number two, think like a man. <laughs> Here's my question. Are you emotionally stable? What do I mean by that? Can you problem solve effectively? Can you lead a household into effective decision making? Are you easily flustered? Think like a man. How about this? Can you wash your own clothes? Can you make your own bed? Can you cook your own food? And just so you know, I said no to all three of those and still got married. God has forgiveness for your life. Can you wash your clothes? Can you make your bed? Can you cook your food? And then finally, how about working like a man? You have a sustainable job. If you can't afford to take her out and pay, <laughs> then you probably shouldn't be taking her out. Amen? As the music's playing, I'll speak in the back. Obviously real practical this morning, uh, but I, I do want to end, I do want to end this morning by um, encouraging singles in this room to take what the Lord has spoken this morning and not to forget it, but to go home and to allow it to penetrate your heart. Go to a connect this week. Find a connect in your area. If you haven't been to one, this is a great time to find it and, and uh, spell this out and Apply the word of God to your life. Apply the advice and the wisdom and the counsel to your life. Take the, the rule of life and apply it to your life and become what God has called you to become. And remember that your singleness is a gift, not a curse. And remember that in that gift, it's not just a gift to you, but it's a gift uh, to God. That God has called you to do something for the kingdom, for his glory in your singleness. And finally, what are the lies that are penetrating your life that you just need to confront. 
And so let's pray, and I'm also going to pray that the married couples here, you would encourage, you would honor, you would celebrate, you would love, you would mentor, you would disciple single adults. Married couples, we need your voice into this community. And so Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your words. I thank you so much for your wisdom. I thank you for the word that encourages, and I thank you for the word that cuts. And I pray that wherever it landed in our heart, Holy Spirit, that you would take it and you would move and you would breathe on that seed and you would water it and it would grow for your honor and your glory. And I pray for every single adult in this house this morning. I pray that you would bless them, you would cover them, you would anoint them, you would call them. And I pray that wherever they're at now, that you would empower them to move to another place in you. And Lord, I just ask that you would keep us from the lies of the culture and help us to feed ourselves with the scripture. And I pray that this church would be a church where single adults would come, feel loved, feel celebrated, feel blessed. For your honor and your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for staying a little extra this morning. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless y'all.